and welcome. I'm Ben Schultz. I'm Nora Schultz. And this is Trying to Adapt. Episode 2. Today we're trying to adapt to The Christmas Carol. Why is it called The Christmas Carol? This is the 1949 television special narrated and hosted by Vincent Price. And when we say hosted, we do mean hosted in the sense that it has one of those framing devices where it's like we're walking into his home and he's reading a Christmas carol to us. Not a Christmas carol, though. The Christmas carol for some reason. This is a low-budget version of the story, as Wikipedia puts it. Uh, 1949, not a big year for television. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure who was watching this. Um, I'm sorry for them. Sorry, in the first episode, I kind of made it out to be like we would judge these really fairly. And we're going to try to, but this one really does deserve to be ragged on a little. We're starting with an episode, we're, we're starting with something that really kind of like tests the boundaries of our ability to be fair. They won't all be this judgmental, I promise. And even in this one, we're going to try to look for, you know, things that worked. Okay, now Wikipedia says, The production is considered primitive by modern standards. It's also noted for misspelling Ebenezer Scrooge's name with two E's in the opening credits. As in, like, Ebenezer. Ebenezer. And not just in the opening credits, they also spell it wrong on his grave. Yeah, so, um, just kind of giving you a little rundown. I don't think I really need to explain what happens plot-wise, because they really don't change much from the book, but... And we did a whole episode about what happens in the plot of the book. Exactly. It was the first one. This is the second one. So, instead, I'm going to give a rundown of just some interesting things that we noticed while watching this, like, 20-minute... Christmas Carol adaptation. So, first of all, um, a common trend, I'm, trend that I'm sure we go, we're going to notice is um, starting with um, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, like over the title card. Merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Right. Like, apparently this is just the song that people associate with this story. Yeah, they have, they have a group of carolers singing God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, only the thing is the opening credits here are very slow and very long, so they actually get th all the way through the first verse and the chorus and get most of the way through the second verse before the credits are over. And even as a dedicated God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen stan, this was testing my patience. Especially because they weren't very good at singing. Yeah, so I kind of mentioned the framing device with Vincent Price. Well, I also want to point out that Vincent Price is having maybe a little bit too much fun telling us the story of A Christmas Carol, because there's so, like, as he's starting it with Marley was dead, there's this weird smile on his face that seems like, like he's maybe just a little bit miscast. This is also like a young Vincent Price. I don't think he's famous yet at this time. May it haunt their houses pleasantly. Charles Dickens. So for the very few people who had a television in 1949, this is probably just, like, a weird guy. Yeah, so also, pretty much every single time we cut to Scrooge, I mean, like, pre-transformation, um, um, he delivers his classic humbug line, but without ba in front of it. Yeah, he never says ba in this version. It's always just humbug. Christmas. Humbug. Humbug. 
Nonsense. Humbug. He also does a really weird voice that I think maybe Ben can try to replicate. I will put a clip. Disorder in my stomach could make my senses cheat me. That's a little bit less fun. Anyway, um, this version of Scrooge has definitely not a British accent. Um, I'm not sure if they even say that this one takes place in London. So I think it can take place anywhere you want it to. Uh, because definitely nobody in this adaptation really consistently seems to be trying for a British accent. Or an accent of any particular location. I guess... Specifically, I mean, they all sound American. To like to anyone who isn't American, it would be like, yeah, th- these are Americans. But they're weird American voices. Definitely a lot of different directions. Um, different actors were trying to pull this in. I also want to point out that um, towards the beginning, there's really kind of a gross scene where Scrooge blows his nose for like a weird amount of time they're really playing up the in the book there's kind of like a like a one line sort of like scrooge has a cold they really play it up in this one which is like interesting he's very sick almost as sick as tiny tim i also want to point out that um part of the vincent price framing device that rhymes allows them to cut to him narrating like scrooge walked the streets um without having to actually show him walking any streets so it'll literally like he cuts he leaves his office we cut to vincent price telling us about how he walked home and then we cut to scrooge walking in his home kind of tying that back to the very primitive special effects (laughs) Or effects of any kind. In fact, we're getting very close to the pretty much the only special effect in the entire program, which is where Jacob Marley walks through the door of Scrooge's room. And it's not even his bedroom. Like, this man comes home. Like, he, like, lights a candle, and then he turns around and Marley is there. Also, a little bit weird, when Marley enters, Scrooge is like, who, who are you? Which is like, who are you? Marley comes into the room and Scrooge doesn't recognize him, which is weird because they were partners for all those years. Also, not only does the effect of Marley walking into the room look pretty weird, but also, like, Marley's chains are just like, pretty clearly plastic chains like there aren't any like like deeds or forms or no it's just it's just plastic chain links it's a ponderous chain though and why do you wear that ponderous chain scrooge is like so scared that he's like leaning all the way back in his chair and yet he still has time for big words like ponderous Yeah, and actually the point where he gets so scared that he leans back in his chair is after Marley does this weird sort of, like, I'm going to make myself appear bigger than the enemy and, like, stretches his arms out and, like, almost gives Scrooge a heart attack. And I'm still not sure what effect that was supposed to have on Scrooge's psyche other than to just freak him the fuck out. It was a very ponderous effect. Yeah, and also, this freaks Scrooge out so much that he's immediately like, thank you for coming here. Even before Marley has, like, 
introduced him to any of the ghosts. As we go through this podcast, we're going to be rating Scrooge's strength in terms of like how how much he sticks to his guns with regards to being a mean asshole. This is a particularly weak Scrooge. And I get it because they were trying to condense it into like 25 minutes, but even considering the runtime, like this Scrooge bends almost immediately. Like I said, pretty much as soon as he talks to Marley, there's like a minute where he's like, how do I know if you're real? And Marley just kind of shrugs and Scrooge is like, well, thank you for coming here. Which is like, that was easy. Immediately after Marley leaves, Scrooge just kind of walks around like groping at the walls and kind of freaking out, like holding his chest like he's going to have a heart attack. And then Vincent Price just kind of like gives us a voiceover during all of this. Scrooge tried desperately to say humbug to the strange happening, but the words stuck in his throat, unuttered. For it was highly probable it was not humbug. Yeah, like, in case you couldn't tell that Scrooge is freaking out, Vincent Price helpfully explains to the audience that Scrooge is freaking out. In this version, the ghosts leave a lot to be desired. We see the ghost of Christmas past, which is basically just a normal guy in a robe. Now, if you'll remember in the book, the ghost of Christmas past is this weird kind of old man child, um, which, like, I mean, I get, that's kind of hard to replicate, especially in 1949, but instead their solution was to take a very normal-looking and sounding man and put him in, like, a white robe. The ghost of Christmas past takes him to this blank black void from which Scrooge is able to see his, like, child self reading a book terribly alone because he has no friends. Yeah, and they never actually, like, transport to the space that this kid Scrooge is in. Like, it's not just like, oh, we can't see them, but they're not even there with him. Every time it cuts to them, they're in this black void. When any of the ghosts take Scrooge anywhere... We see what they see, but then when we cut back to them, they're just in this void. Like, they're not even, it's not even just that, like, oh, kid Scrooge can't see adult Scrooge. But adult Scrooge isn't even in the same room as him. That scene where Scrooge is watching his child self being alone is the only past that we get. And also in this only past scene there's a particularly funny moment where scrooge turns to the ghost of christmas past and like while smiling while actively smiling he talks about how he was so alone that christmas because none of his playmates were really his friends oh i remember that christmas well i felt so lonely my playmates they didn't like me it was because you had shunned them yeah, and so, also considering that we only get one scene where Scrooge looks at his past at all, like, there's no Fezziwigs, um, the Ghost of Christmas Past mentions his fiance, and Scrooge is like, no, no, I can't see that. So, this Scrooge, like, as we said earlier, he's a weak Scrooge. Dare I say, he's a pussy Scrooge. It, it, it literally just takes, like, that one scene and it young scrooge doesn't even say anything or react in any way it just takes like the sight of his younger self to like completely freak him out while watching this i also considered just kind of a general question about a christmas carol which is 
Why exactly did the ghosts fuck around with what time of the night it is? I understand that it's in, so that Scrooge can deliver his, like, the ghosts did it in one night line, and that, like, he can then be so relieved that it's still Christmas, but, like, did they really do that just to fuck with his head? I don't see how that really helps with his, like, transformation. And, of course, then we meet the ghost of Christmas Present, who, again, is a normal man, just kind of tall. He's not even hairy. He doesn't have a beard. I am the ghost of Christmas Present. Look upon me. Yes, spirit. Conduct me where you will. Yeah, and then another general observation about A Christmas Carol that I had while watching this was... It's an interesting message that Scrooge's redemption entirely rests on ghosts. Something to think about. The ghost of Christmas present brings Scrooge to see the Cratchit family celebrating Christmas with Tiny Tim. Possibly my favorite moment of all of the 25 or so minutes that this adaptation takes is where Tiny Tim delivers his classic God bless us every one line. And then we cut to his family, who nods, takes a drink, and then we cut back to Tiny Tim, who looks around dejectedly. That was, like, a very weird moment, because, like, obviously Tiny Tim has it tough, but, like, we're also se- we also seem to be suggesting that his family doesn't really care about him all that much. Which is a new development. Like, I feel like it's very expressly mentioned in the book and shown not even just mentioned shown multiple times that the Cratchits are a loving supportive family who would do anything for Tiny Tim in this version they can't even cheer for him when he delivers such a hardcore line and kind of the point is that like the Cratchits are supposed to be virtuous because they represent like everything that Scrooge isn't But instead, they basically ignore Tiny Tim, and we know that this hurts him because we immediately cut back to him just kind of looking around, sad. It's a messed up little moment. And then, of course, we meet the ghost of Christmas yet to come, who once again is totally just a man because they even managed to fuck this up. He's wearing a robe, but you can still see his eyes. You can see his eyes, and he does like these, obviously the ghost of... Christmas Yet to Come does a lot of dramatic pointing. This guy decided that the best way to inject some personality into the role was to, like, do some weird flourishes every time he pointed at something. He just has normal man hands. Yeah, I think they did, like, paint them white. They do look very pale. But other than but that, they are normal hands. could also just be a very pale man. Once again, to kind of point out how, like, shitty the Cratchits are in this version, they... When we find out that Tiny Tim is dead, we pretty much only know this because Mrs. Cratchit looks like she's been crying for maybe a second, and then when Bob comes in, he's like, well, you know, um, I met, uh, Scrooge's nephew in the streets, and he's, like, I told him about poor Tiny Tim, so that's how the audience knows that the Tiny Tim is dead. But like I said, there's no, like, the children don't look like they've been crying, Bob doesn't seem particularly shaken up about it. Despite the fact that, like, the tragedy does not come through in this scene whatsoever, Scrooge is still like, Why do you torment me like this, ghost of Christmas yet to come? If you must torment me, be quick. Take me to what else you have to show. 
Yeah, and also, I feel like the whole point of the Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come sequence is to build up to, like, who is this poor man that nobody cares about? It's me! But instead, the only scene other than, like, the Cratchit family talking about Tiny Tim's death, then we get a scene of, like, some businessmen that Scrooge works with talking about, like, oh, hope we left a lot of money. But we don't get to see, like, we, we, don't, we don't see the scene where the Cratchits are talking about how they're happy that Scrooge is dead because, like, that'll hopefully be better for Bob's work life. There's none of that. There's none of the, like, and neither is there the scene where Scrooge, like, is about to pull the cover off his dead body and he's like, I can't do it. There's no drama. It cuts right from businessmen talking about how they hope they get a lot of money to Scrooge looking down at his tombstone that, once again, reads Ebenezer. I have to point out that the businessmen scene, one of the businessmen says, I hope there's a lunch at the funeral, and then that's where the scene ends. We come very, very close to an appearance from the guy who never eats lunch, as I mentioned in the previous episode. So presumably the guy who never eats lunch does raise his concern about uh, his lack of lunch eating immediately after Scrooge's ghost... Scrooge's ghost? Scrooge and the ghost leave. Also... When Scrooge wakes up, it's not even right to say wake up, because we don't see him, like, in bed and then he wakes up. No, instead he's, like, sitting on the edge of his bed and he's, like, talking out loud to, like, what he was saying a moment ago to the ghost of Christmas yet to come, which genuinely makes the audience wonder if Scrooge has been talking out loud to himself the entire time. We do get a line which a lot of adaptations leave out which is a shame because it's a very good line, is where Scrooge says, I will live in the past, present, and the future all at once. That is a very good line that I like a lot. And I noticed while I was reading the book that I hadn't like noticed it in a lot of adaptations, and I wondered if it even was included in a lot of them. And it's nice to know that even this short, yes, primitive, 25-minute television adaptation includes a really awesome line. But... Right after he says this, it's kind of the moment is kind of ruined because he starts laughing maniacally alone in his room for like a solid minute, picks his cane up, starts dancing around with it. It's still Christmas, and I haven't missed it. <laughs> when he leaves. Vincent Price once again comes on to tell us about how Scrooge was talking to people in the street, but of course we don't get to see this because they did not build a street set. And speaking of not building a street set, the part where Scrooge like opens the window and yells down to the boy about how it's Christmas Day and he should buy like the biggest turkey, we just watch Scrooge op like from the outside of the window. We don't see the boy at all. I don't have much else to say about this adaptation that I haven't already said, but the one final note that I took while watching this was that Vincent Price does get to say the incredible line, And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. Which again, as I pointed out in the first episode, really makes you wonder, is Tiny Tim still alive? Is he out there? Can we find him? This is going to turn into another season of Serial. And if he is out there, I want to know how he feels about this adaptation. Yes. 
Now, Scrooge actually offers to take Tiny Tim to a famous surgeon. We don't really know what Tiny Tim's issue is, so I don't know if, like, a surgeon is supposed to be able to do something about it. Yeah, that's definitely something that I've wondered ever since I was about Tiny Tim's age watching Christmas Carol adaptations is... What exactly is Tiny Tim's deal? And that's something that I'm going to definitely keep a lookout for in these adaptations is if any of them dare to, like, put a name maybe to Tiny Tim's condition or, like, even dare to show him, like, as a healthy boy after Scrooge has, like, paid for his medical bills. Yeah. In in this version, he looks like a relatively normal child. He has a crutch. I know not all disabilities are visible. Maybe it's a mental thing. Maybe the surgery that Scrooge was referring to was like a lobotomy. That's a good note to end this episode on. All right. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. God bless us, everyone. I've been Ben Schultz. I've been Nora Schultz. And you have been listening to Trying to Adapt. (laughs) 